Welcome to episode 314 of Live Happy Now. Many of us go through times when we wonder what it would take to make us happier. But today's guest took that question to a whole different level. I'm your host, Paula Phelps, and this week we're talking with Jackson Kurchis, who created and earned a Bachelor of Science degree in happiness. His work integrates insights from neuroscience, positive psychology, religion, philosophy, and direct experience to provide a comprehensive study of what makes us happy. He also designed and now instructs the University of Alabama's first-ever Happiness 101 course, which is built around his Happiness Habits project. He's here to tell us a little more about it. Jackson, welcome to Live Happy Now. Hey, Paula. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. I'm really glad to have you on the show. We've been talking for a little while, wanting to get you on the show, and so I'm glad that we're finally able to make this happen. In the introduction, I told people a little bit about you. So I wanted to know, though, how your interest in studying happiness began, because we all want to be happy, but you actually became a student of it. Yeah, well, that's a great question. So really, my story, I'd say started out as a freshman year of college, and I wasn't necessarily unhappy, but I think I was a little lost and unsure with this question of sort of, you know, what should I do with my life? And Maybe if you think about college, you've, you've experienced that question before. And, you know, I kind of externally, I guess, wanted to be successful and everything. But I think on the inside, I was a little scared. And I still am scared sometimes of you know, kind of looking back on my life with regret or looking back and saying, you know, well, it, why did I spend my life this way? And you know, what I realized was that well, I want to be successful, right? But but success without happiness ultimately is a failure, in my opinion. And so, you know, when I think back on my life as kind of an old man or something, you know, and I ask, how did I spend this? I want to say, well, what was the one thing worth studying? Right. Well, probably happiness. I can't really go wrong with that, right? So that's why I always say it's it's life's most important subject. But that was really the the realization I had. Ever since then, I like you touched on, you know, I created the world, I think the world's first Bachelor of Science in happiness. In addition to economics, I started doing some some corporate training, some speaking events on campus, writing research. And then, you know, my personal favorite, which I'm sure we'll talk about is creating the first ever happiness habits course at the University of Alabama. So well, I want, how did you get go from I'm going to study happiness to creating a Bachelor of Science in happiness? Like, I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's certainly not traditional. I, I guess I sometimes have a problem with sort of taking no for an answer, but I'm also <laughs> very blessed with so here at the University of Alabama. We do have a program called New College which often lets students sort of design their own majors. And a lot of times it's like a more established major that our university doesn't offer. But you have a few who kind of create from the ground up. And that was the program I stumbled across. And I really I, I knew about it. And then I thought about, okay, well, I want to study happiness. And one day, you know, as all great ideas come, they never come when you're at work or focused. It was just <laughs> like getting out of bed. I was like, oh, happiness major. And literally that day I applied to the program and was in within a couple of days. Did they seem receptive immediately or were they, what was their response when you said, this is what I want to do? Yeah. I mean, there was of course some skeptics and definitely my fair share of getting roasted by my friends. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> cha I didn't, I mean, I'm cha adding a happiness major. And it's like, oh, great. Sure you, are. <laughs> you know, people think I'm joking. 
and then they realize I'm serious and they think I've gone crazy. But anyway, so so there was some skeptics, but overall, I've been very supported. I feel by uh, by the new college community and some great mentors and professors here at, at the university. So it's gone pretty well. And then is that the same the curriculum that you developed? to achieve, to attain that degree, is that the same thing that became the Happiness 101 course? I wouldn't say directly, but it, it certainly influenced it. So, you know, I kind of cobbled together my own curriculum for the major with things like, you know, there's the Yale course on well-being that's very well known. Berkeley has a science of happiness course, of course, a, a lot of my own research and doing some experiential stuff as well. But then, you know, the course was really based on a couple things you know, one was just sort of my research model framework for happiness studies that I, I published. And it was also based a lot on just talking to students and saying, hey, what keeps you up at night? And turns out it's a lot of the same things that, you know, most people worry about sort of uncertainty about the future. What should I do with my life? But also more of the day to day state, like, how do I deal with all this stuff on my plate, manage stress, manage anxiety, whatever. So really just tried to put my sort of principles in with the more practical, well, how can we really help these students? And then I grounded all of that in habit, right? The science of habit formation. And in learning as you took like the Yale course and and all the other resources, how did it change you? It gave you a great toolkit, obviously, because you're drawing on it. But So how did it change you as a student as you continued studying happiness? Yeah. Well, I think there's a couple of ways. You know, number one, I think, and this is a blessing and a curse sometimes, is it's really made me hold myself a little more accountable because you get a lot of cognitive dissonance when you're like stressed out, freaking out while like writing an article about happiness. You're kind of <laughs> like, whoa, this this doesn't make sense. Because I tend to see like me and maybe a lot of other people, sometimes you say, well, I just got to get through this week and then I'll be happy, right? Or oh, this month is crazy, but then I can relax and be happy. And I think just taking these courses, what I realized is in my own life, I had a tendency to do that sometimes and saying, well, you know, if, if I'm can't kind of be happy today and actually start implementing the knowledge, right? Because it's like 5% actually acquiring the knowledge and 95% can you implement it? Absolutely. Just taking that into account, you know, as I took the courses really was the biggest single change, of course. And then there's all the other different areas like I could talk about with my, my kind of framework for it. But practically speaking, that was number one. So then once you had this created, how did you get the University of Alabama to sign on and off let you teach it. Yeah, so really I mean it was just never it was never a question to me in my mind just because this failure is just never an option for me. I I don't in my mind so I said, "Hey, we're going to make this happen." And I kind of said, "Look, isn't this very much in the spirit of student empowerment and kind of the way you know new college kind of the core values of, of our program here creating your own major is kind of student empowerment, interdisciplinary thinking, innovative and experiential education. And so that was kind of my sales pitch. And thankfully, you know, some of the like the directors and new college, you know, helped me, I don't maybe say bend the rules. We definitely didn't break any rules, but bend the rules and like set me up as an instructor. So so we got to actually make the course, offer it through the university and get the students credit and everything. So when did it begin? When did you begin teaching it? This was the first semester. So we just... That's finals week. So we just had our last sort of class picnic, little picnic on the quad for finals week. So this was uh, the first trial. And going through that semester, 
what did you see in your students? How did you see it affecting them and empowering them as they learn these habits? Yeah, I was pretty pleased, I think, with you know, how the how the course ended up. Sort of the way I structured it is, you know, the first half of the course, we're just reading. The textbook for the course was Atomic Habits by James Clear. And at the same time, you know, learning some of the higher level happiness type stuff. And then the midterm, quote unquote, project was taking all these kind of strategies of habit formation and designing a happiness habits sort of plan. And then, you know, the second half of the course is actually implementing it, tracking it. And then the final is just sort of a you know reflection on that. Well, how did it all go? Okay. You know, so, so over the course of the semester, I got to see in sort of the weekly journal things with all the students saying, you know, how dynamic of a process it was and, and how they were actually starting to implement things in their lives. Like, oh, well, you know, I found that, you know, I thought that I could meditate for 20 minutes every morning, but it was too hard. So I got to move it to the afternoon. I could see that, that sort of stuff. But then I could also see, I guess, more at a kind of intangible level, the students kind of, we transitioned from a lot more kind of luxury would made me being a little boring till you know, sitting out on the quad just as a group discussing, getting to know each other, having fun. So, so more than anything, I think just encouraging them to think more about happiness. Yeah. Yeah. Because once you start opening yourself up to it and really thinking about it and becoming intentional, just that action makes a difference in your life. Absolutely. And it's a lot to ask, you know, to say, hey, we've got a semester we're going to turn you into the happiest people ever. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But again, I think just having that, I always, you know, my biggest thing to them was always to say, look, I'm not, you know, the expert, I'm not your teacher. Life is really the teacher. I'm just another student trying to sort of point you say, Hey, well, why don't we maybe look at this happiness thing too, instead of just looking at, you know, what we tend to focus on in college of it's kind of traditional success and everything. So just helping that process. I think hopefully the seeds of that will flourish in the coming years. Yeah. And so how are they graded? Because it's like, I was thinking about that. It's like, man, how bad would it be like if you flunk happiness? (laughs) That would not be good. I I jokingly have a couple of students in there that I say like, you know, hey, you guys, better get it, watch it because you're, you're going to be in trouble. But really, it was just a, a, a pass fail and which is almost worse for happiness, I feel like to say that. <laughs> but but it really was just, you know, are you engaged? Right. Are you trying? Because it's like I said before about the implementation. You know, it's one thing to know things, but then how do you actually translate that knowledge into lived change, which was why I designed everything in the course that way, my student learning outcomes that way, the habit stuff that way. Thankfully, I let's tell the students, you know, I didn't have any idiots because it's <laughs> it's harder sometimes for them, but they've all been great. So everyone passed and it's definitely not the type of thing that you want to have stressing your students out. I gotta get right. Away. Right. You don't want to be the thing that's keeping them up at night. Let algebra do that or whatever. So was it more challenging to teach happiness right now because there's a lot going on with the pandemic and with all the stuff? Or was it actually easier because people are more open and more more seeking of these practices? Yeah. Well, you know, that's a great question. I think like everything, there's there's good and bad. The bad maybe is I think sometimes as a society, it's easy to overlook the importance of what I call sort of micro socializing, which I don't know if that's a 
I coined that term. I don't know if that's a technical term, but of like these little things of, you know, seeing people smile and smile back at you or, you know, giving a hug or, you know, touch or just having sort of an exchange and connecting with another human. You know, I think it's easy to just be like, oh, well, we just socially distance and mask, which is obviously necessary in some ways. But I think it's easy to overlook how big of a, an impact that has on our happiness. To your point, yeah, because, uh, you know, Barbara Fredrickson has done so much research on that. And she talks about the micro moments in her book, Love 2.0, and how important that is. And just saying hello to your doorman or just having that, like you said, that micro socialization, those moments of connection, it's hugely important. Exactly. Right. So so that's kind of the tough side. But I guess the, you know, the good side is and, and thankfully we were able to meet in person and socially distance small group for, for the class, which was nice. But I do think the good side is there's been, you know, in my opinion, a, you know, anytime you get a shock, whether it's as an individual or a larger group, it can sort of prompt you to reflect. And I do feel sometimes that COVID has triggered a little bit of like an existential questioning with just a lot of my friends who I come from the management consulting academy and the business school, aside from the happiness stuff and a lot of very high sort of performing, very competitive people, which is fine. But a lot of them saying, you know, actually... I don't know if I want to go into the office and work 80 hours a week every week. Or, mm-hmm. you know, I see for the first time when, you know, the pandemic first hit these parks and streams beside where I lived that never had people would have 20 cars, you know, people are going out in nature. And I do think it caused a lot of people to reevaluate and say, well, what do I really want out of life? You know, acknowledge how much life can change in just an instant. And I hope that that will translate into the net increases in happiness for everyone. Do you see that now after we've kind of settled into knowing that the new normal is one that's not going to be normal, it's not what we expected. So do you see people being more willing to accept a different path for their future, especially like college students where maybe they were, as you mentioned, like driven and this was going to be my path. And now it's like, eh, well, maybe that's not what I, how I would like to spend my future. Yeah, I, I think I can. I can see that. Or, or if anything, it's just a, you know, maybe the sort of, you know, it's always challenging to sort of go against the grain, we'll say, or go against sure. the stream of sort of what the traditional path, whatever that may be. But that stream's kind of been interrupted and sh- shaken up a little bit. So I do think that, you know, people my age, but also people in their 30s, 40s, 50s, a lot of them are saying, well, you know, actually, you know, maybe I wasn't so sure. Maybe we can change this way. And sort of sort of reevaluate. So I think that that is kind of a a thing that hopefully we're going to see and see continue. Yeah. Now in your course, you have the Happiness Habits Project, and can you explain what that is, how it works? Really give us the rundown on this because this is this is the really interesting part of this. I think. Yeah. For your listeners, Paul, I did put together. Go to happinessmajor.com/habits. You can find, I did my best to, it's all just free on there. You don't need to give your email or anything. I did my best to sort of corral the whole midterm into a single page. So there's three or four videos, you know, walking you through everything. But basically the core lessons, there were a few. So the first I always talk about is sort of a morning ritual. You know, rituals are a very powerful thing. We think about, there's some books like The Powerful Engagement is a great book that talks about the sort of energy management that comes with rituals. So I say a morning ritual is so, so important because your morning is very highly leveraged. And what I mean by that is a little change in your trajectory in the morning 
has a huge impact, a disproportionate <laughs> impact on the record. You know what I mean, right? Yeah, try hitting that snooze for five minutes and see what happens, right? Exactly, right? And so another analogy, right, is if you're running a, a marathon, right, and you take a little step to the right at the beginning, right, you finish miles away from the finish line. So the, the first thing I have the students do, and I have a video and steps for this is, so you need to design sort of your morning ritual, that's going to anchor you into the state of mind that you want to be in for the rest of the day. And to me, I found that to be an incredible source of emotional stability in my own life, but also you know, working with students and other people. So sort of the first part is just designing that ritual, very, very, very specific, which that's just how I am with all, like I said, all about implementation. So you say, literally, I'm going to get up at this time at, you know, whatever, seven at seven 20, I'm going to go for a 10 minute walk. Okay. At, you know, seven 30, I'm going to eat two eggs and an apple. It's, well, you know, just again, that, that morning ritual that you can hit every day consistently, you know, something easy, something that is not going to be impossible, but you can do it every day like clockwork. So that's sort of the first piece and your, your happiness morning ritual will say. Then I talk about something called keystone habits, which comes from the work of Charles Duhigg, which is essentially a keystone habit is some sort of habit that has, again, kind of a disproportionate highly leveraged impact on other areas of your life. So a common example is exercise. You know, mm -hmm. you get people starting to exercise and all of a sudden they say, well, hey, I'm also like, I feel better, but I'm also doing way better at work. I also feel like I'm like happier and connecting more with my family, whatever. So then, you know, that's that keystone habit. It holds together other areas of your life. So I said, you know, what are two to three keystone happiness habits that you can pick, right? So maybe meditation. Maybe it's, you know, each week I want to set aside time with my significant other, or with one of my good friends. Maybe it's exercise. So whatever, you pick two or three of those and then you design very specific, again, implementation intentions, which that's as simple as saying, when are you going to do something for how long and where? And there have been studies that shown, you know, for compliance and things like physical therapy that doubles the amount of follow through on it. So you say, then, you know, I haven't put in their calendar or whatever. You say, okay, I'm going to go to the gym Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. at the Planet Fitness beside my house. Okay, I'm going to meditate as part of my morning ritual, you know, every day after I go for a walk, whatever. Yeah, and all this is written down into kind of your blueprint. So that's the second part. The, the final part is just actually designing your tracking system. You know, how are you going to, what, what gets measured gets managed. That's what we always say. In, in business. So, you know, really setting up a system because willpower is overrated. You know, the key is to just have a system that can make things easy, right? So changing your environment, scheduling things, whatever. So the final phase is just planning out, you know, setting all those implementation items into your calendar, you know, setting out your morning ritual. And then the tracking is just, you got to see how you're doing. So I tell people, I usually just have a printed out paper in front of my desk that I see every day that has three boxes for each day. And I check off one is for my mind training, one's for my body training, the other is for some sort of important work. But it can be an Excel file, it can be whatever, just something that you can see every day and feel the progress you're making. So then when you put that all together, that's where you get this blueprint where you have your, your draft of your morning ritual to check off every day, you've got your, your key habits all set up ready to go. And then you actually have a system to track it. 
So hopefully, like I said, I warned you, I like big on the detail, but that's really the essence of this. And I lay all that out, like I said, at that link for your listeners, if they're interested. Well, that, that's really great because a lot of times people say, well, you know, make time to meditate every day. They don't, they leave out the part of schedule it in. Mm-hmm. And what happens, whatever it is that we intend to do, that day gets longer and longer and you get to the end of the day and it's like, oh, I'm just going to move that over to the next day. So I really like the way that you're having people schedule it in, getting very specific, keeping themselves on track. That's a great approach. You can really see your business side coming in on that, like your management mind. You know, you've done such a great job of creating this course. It seems like it should go beyond just University of Alabama. What's your What's your goal for it? What is it? What do you hope to do with this course? Are you going to expand this or do more things online or what's going to happen with it next? Yeah, great question. So I actually, this this semester, uh, I did win a grant to publish the course online. So my plan is to just in the next week or so film some videos, get those published on like a Udemy Coursera type mm-hmm. platform. And that's sort of phase one. But then after that, I sort of think of it as this is one piece kind of under the umbrella of, you know, particularly the last year, I've really honed in, I think, and kind of gotten a sense of certainty of that this work of happiness studies is really what I want to do. So I'm by no means done with with the course with anything. So we start online and then I really want to keep teaching it in person. So if that means maybe academia, you know, I do have a traditional sort of business job also lined up, but one way or another this is here to stay in some capacity. That's excellent. Jackson, it was really nice talking to you today. I'm glad to be able to share some of this with our listeners, let them see what you're all about. We're giving them links to everything about you so they can see your videos, they can learn more about you, they can follow you on social media. Thank you for sitting down with me today and talking. Well, thank you. It's it's really an honor to be here. And I think that you know, you're really supporting the mission as well of making the world a, a happier place. So kudos to you. Well, let's do it. That was Jackson Kirchis, who teaches the Happiness 101 course at the University of Alabama. If you'd like to learn more about Jackson, follow him on social media, or download a free copy of his Happiness Habits Project coursework, just visit us at livehappynow.com and follow the links. That is all we have time for today. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all-new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one. Mm -hmm.